Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Tom Selleck on this Wednesday afternoon. Hey, Dad. Rocking the palm leaf Hawaiian shirt. He's got his mustache in full effect. Is Tom Selleck the look you were going for? Well, first, there's a beard around the mustache. I didn't just go straight stash. No, I just I, I've there, there was a great uh, sale down in Vicksburg uh, this week. I got like six of these shirts for the price of one. So, have you seen, you seen Tom them Selleck lately? Uh, hold on a second. Six for the price of one. I wonder if there's a reason that they were six for the price of one. I, I think that particular Dillard's was going out of business. So yeah. Oh. Oh. So you think this was a wildly popular shirt, and they just decided they had to get rid of everything, not like they had a bunch of them left, and so they would sell them six for the price of one? Looks good on me. That's all I'm saying. So you got six shirts for how much? Ninety bucks. Ninety dollars for six? Tommy Bahama there? Uh, I think it's an off-brand Tommy Bahama. It's like Tommy Jamaica. (laughs) Tommy. Joey Bermuda, I don't know. Johnny Jamaica. That was the brand shirt that uh, Haydad went with at the uh, clearance sale. So we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, Hawaii Five O Haydad coming in the uh, near we future. Should. Yeah. Borky, I wish you had gotten you some of those. Dude, I'd rock them. I hear you. You need to go down, you need to go down there. It's, it's a 45-minute drive. It's totally worth it. They got, like, regular shirts, too, down there. They're just super cheap. So I've been all over this state. Enough. And especially when I was in school, I made it a point just to get in the car. If I had nothing going on, like on a Sunday, I would just get in the car and go just so I could see the state. And since I've lived here, I've been been lucky enough with work to see a lot of places, especially like I've spent a lot of time in the Pine Belt and on the coast. Mm-hmm. I have never been to Vicksburg. Go check it out, my hometown. Go to the, go to the military park and see all the history there. It's cool. Yeah. Decent spots to eat in Vicksburg. Plenty of good spots to eat, yeah. If you're interested in gambling, you can do that. I have been known to do that. Yeah, a lot, lot, uh, lot of history there as well. Have you seen Selleck lately, by the way? No, I have not. I, I saw a commercial with him recently, so I looked him up. He's 75 going on 50. I said, he, still he looking good? He looks incredible for 75. Yeah. The guy hasn't aged he, a day. Good for him. Oh, people say that about me when I'm 75. Man, Richard, doesn't look a day over 50. Yeah, well, three-quarters of a century old, probably not going to happen. I'll settle for just being alive. <laughs> you, you, you just want to still be He's still here, guys. Look at him. He's doing great. There you go. Hey, C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 
888-532-4395. You want to be part of the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. Uh, we'll tell you that at 4.37 this afternoon, about an hour and a half from right now, we are scheduled to be joined by Governor Tate Reeves. We will talk with him about some of the decisions that uh, he has had to make with regard to athletics in the state of Mississippi as it pertains to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss on the college level, but also uh, some of the decisions that he has had to make on the high school level. Now that high school football uh, has begun And uh, we'll kind of talk about what went into those decisions and whether or not he anticipates any changes to the executive orders that uh, that are in place that will possibly allow attendance to grow, what metrics they are looking at. Uh, I I don't know, Borky, if I throw at him the, why don't we just stop testing altogether? Um, I was going to ask you if you were going (laughs) to ask the governor that question. I don't know that I'll couch it that way. <laughs> but I do think there are reasonable questions to be asked about the reliability of testing. And I know Without that's something that, that he and, uh, you know, I feel like, tell me tell me if I'm wrong here. The story that we talked about on Monday, or maybe it was Tuesday, I think it was Monday, with the 77 false positives in the NFL, did that get the play nationally that you thought it was going to get? No, not even close. I mean, of course it was talked about in NFL circles, but as far as regular news, if you want to call it that anymore. Uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't see ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN leading with 77 false positives in the NFL. How reliable is our testing structure? I had a conversation uh, this morning with my wife. She had to go to the doctor. Not for COVID, it was for something else. And she was talking with the doctor, and the doctor that she was talking with, she said, I'm so over this, which we all are to a certain degree. But Jane asked her what she meant. She said, we, we don't understand reliability when it comes to testing. There's a, a lab that we're using in Florida for a bunch of our tests, and we are routinely getting messages that, oh, wait, sorry, those were false positives. You don't hear that. Nobody's talking about that. I'm not saying that all of them are false positives. Obviously, this is a serious issue. But if we can't trust the reliability of the testing, and we're relying so much on those testing numbers, what can we trust in all of this thing? And now you've got the story that LSU has almost an entire position group, the offensive line, either with a positive test or in quarantine because they came into close contact with somebody who has had a positive test. They now currently, if they had to play a game Saturday, would be running four-man fronts on the offensive line because that's all they've got. Hey, Dad, how's that sound to you? (laughs) You Opening week opponent for the Bulldogs. You can't get pressure on that front. I don't know what to tell you. It's going to be a long year. But doesn't it make you wonder... Since they don't have, even a place like LSU doesn't have the resources of the NFL, and those guys, I promise you, did not immediately get retested over and over again to determine the positivity rate, right? Or, or whether or not they were real. And, doesn't and that give Borky, you pause? Of course it does. And the NFL now has a policy in place where a false positive can be overruled. 
as far as I know, that doesn't exist in the SEC or the NCAA. We've talked about the fact that in the SEC, you cannot negative test your way out of quarantine. If you have to go into quarantine, you've got to write it out for the for the duration. Somebody needs to put their hand up. And all they have to do, really, or all they should have to do is just send articles about all of the NFL teams that totaled 77, about all their false positives, and say, like, what was the one that had the most? Was it Minnesota that had 11 of them by themselves? Just what happens if I just remember Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills, is kind of the headline grabber. Uh, But what happens if that's Alabama? Are you going to force 11 Alabama players to sit for two weeks? Just send that article to the SEC office and it should be taken care of. We got some uh, huge breaking news here. The Milwaukee Bucks and Orlando Magic have decided to boycott Game 5. They're not playing. Yeah, so uh, that game was scheduled to start around 3 or a little bit after, and the Milwaukee Bucks did not come out on the floor. The Orlando Magic were on the floor, and then they left the floor, and now we have uh, reports that um, the Bucks are sitting out Game 5 to protest police brutality. Jacob Blake, black man from Kenosha, Wisconsin, was shot seven times in the back by police. Kenosha is 35 miles from the home arena of the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I, I do have a question on this, and I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily what they're doing is wrong. My question is, to what end? What are the Milwaukee Bucks, or the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic, and I think uh, there was some conversation about Toronto and somebody potentially doing this as well. Boston. Um, say what? Would be Boston, wouldn't it? Those two teams have advanced, mm-hmm. haven't they? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it would be in the next round. There had been some discussion about whether or not they might do the exact same thing. What does this accomplish? I mean, at the end of the day, what does any protest really accomplish? Very, very rarely does protest lead to anything. So it's just it's protest. It's you know we we're we're tired of this. We're fed up with that. And this is the only way we have to uh, to to make that felt. I guess I don't know. That question requi- requires a pretty complex answer, and, and we're up against a hard break. But um, at the end of the day, not playing the playoff game to stand up for what you believe in. Knowing what could come, if they do know what could come financially and stuff, um, if if that's what you want to do, then you have the right to do it. And uh, congrats on having the intestinal fortitude to potentially sacrifice future financial gain. But if they're not quite aware of what this is going to do, on top of the already plummeting viewership of the league... They might want to think twice, and that's just, there's more to it, but I hope they know what they're doing, because they might be destroying their league and the platform that they currently have by doing something like this. I am, we'll see, Sports Talk Mississippi. There's something out there in the sports media world 
that is really fascinating to me. Stuart Mandel is the lead columnist, lead college football columnist, and is kind of the overseer of the college football wing of The Athletic. I'm not sure exactly what his title is, but he's the guy that has kind of made all the hiring decisions. When... um, He's the editor-in-chief, is what is Editor-in-chief. But it's a whole lot more than just editor-in-chief, right? I mean, right. When, when The Athletic went and stole Andy Staples from Sports Illustrated, Stuart Mandel was behind that decision. Yeah. When Will Salmon left Mississippi State to go cover Florida for The Athletic and then ultimately, within The Athletic, made the move to Milwaukee to cover baseball, he was courted by Stuart Mandel. He has had a great deal of influence on the hiring process as they brought ridiculously talented people to that particular publication. Stuart Mandel himself, though, is... I'm not painting with too big of a brush here, but he is quite left-leaning, and it's evident when you follow him on Twitter and you read some of his remarks. And he has now asked the college football world, or at least the people that follow him and read The Athletic, to hit the reset button with him. I don't necessarily want to read all of this. He says in his mailbag this week, I wanted to address something that's been weighing on me and many of you. Writing and tweeting about college football in the time of COVID-19 has been the greatest challenge of my career because the topic is so emotional and has become so divisive. I've been accused at times of being too negative or even that I'm trying to bring down college football due to some political agenda. Up until recently, I mostly brushed off those comments. Once in a while, I would snap back. But over the last couple of weeks, the tenor intensified, both for myself and my readers slash followers. I've caught myself on a few occasions having to delete tweets that were just plain condescending. On Monday after the preseason AP poll came out, I published a seemingly fun and innocuous piece making predictions on how the now-canceled marquee September matchups would have transpired. When the comments section quickly deteriorated into angry readers blaming me for those cancellations and those comments getting lots of thumbs up, thumbs ups, it was time to stage a self-intervention. He goes on to explain by saying, the simplest explanation I can give you is I've still got a lot of fears about COVID-19, both for myself and my family. live in a part of the country that is still being super cautious, California, and every university in my time zone has canceled football. So it definitely feels foreign and alarming when I see pictures and videos of students at bars or news that a school is going to be allowing 20,000 fans at its game. And so I'm probably projecting some of my own fears in my tweets and comments about that kind of stuff. He goes on to say that I'm aware that in the South and elsewhere, people are increasingly returning to regular life. High schools are playing football games. My brother's 90s party band in Cincinnati played in front of a socially distanced crowd at a bar last weekend. For many people, myself included, college football returning will be the most seminal milestone yet. And though I assure you I have neither the desire nor the influence to prevent that from occurring, I haven't been reading the room with some of my more flippant tweets recently. So what do you say we hit the reset button? I'm not going to stop reporting and commenting on pertinent COVID-related news. I'm going to be more mindful of my tone. We at The Athletic are rolling out a lot of season preview content this week and next. Where'd this come from? 
either um, some self-reflection or a boss that said, this doesn't Zip sell it. subscriptions, cut it. One of the two. But either way, Which I mean... It seems unlikely, right? That's a, that's a company based out of San Francisco. They... Yes, but that's a company that is funded by private equity and investors. It's um, it, it's a company that profit and revenue is ultimately going to be the thing that matters. When an entire company is based solely on investment dollars from people who expect return on their investment, if you're doing things that run counter to making that investment profitable, you're going to get called on it. So, so hey, did I completely get what you're saying in terms of, and, and I think your mic cut out there for a second. I, I yeah. wasn't trying to talk over you. Um, I completely get okay. what you're saying in that, okay, that's a Silicon Valley-based company, and most of those people probably see the world the way Stuart Mandel does. Many of them do. But more than that, those investors in Silicon Valley see the world through a prism of green. No, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong about that. Just just for me, and I, I, maybe I'm just trying to, and it's rare for me to be the optimist in this, but uh, I felt like it was more like Borky said, a, a moment of self-reflection and him saying, you know, is this really the person I want to be that's just constantly dooming and glooming this up? Um, It had to have hmm. hurt, right? I mean, it, I love their content. By, by the way, I'm going to tip my cap to Stuart Mandel for, for oh, writing for sure. this. I, uh, regardless of the reason, I, th- I think that's a it's probably something that we all should do from time to time with regard to our opinions. And go, eh, maybe I wasn't reading the room right here. So I'm willing to take a step back. Let's all kind of press the reset button together. Yeah, it was good stuff and and well put. Uh, but I, I can't imagine... This is what blows my mind about, especially the, the columnist at USA Today, for example. Does this sell subscriptions to your Gannett paper when this kind of stuff runs in it? When you're calling Big Ten parents bad parents for wanting their kids to play ball? Is that really selling papers in Detroit, Michigan? I, I've, I've never understood how that kind of constant rhetoric is profitable. And I know, you know, a journalist's job is to not profit, but to tell the truth. But if you're running a, a subscription-based... It's kind of to profit. It's kind of to profit. <laughs> I, it is, but that's what they'll... You know, that's what we were told in, in journalism school was, it's not about making money, it's about telling the truth and whatever. But I just... I, I bet that was the actual voice, too. Yeah. And now that the season's approaching, and it's very clear that you have three major power college football conferences that are going to play, who have massive fan bases that would subscribe to your content if they weren't being told all the time that they're stupid, rednecks or whatever, dumb, stupid people in the South and politically driven and all that all the time, they're not going to pay the $4 a month to read that crap. Could a... Middle of the road, just the facts, my friend, news entity work. Because I know there are people that just get weary of, uh, there's no way for me to read the news. I have to decipher the news. Like, I've got to figure out, okay, who's reporting? Okay, this comes from Fox, so there's probably a slant to the right. Uh, This comes from CNN, so there is probably a significant slant to the left. 
This comes from MSNBC, or this originated with CBS. And so you've got to identify the bias that exists in the organization and the particular writer and then try to decipher what's real and what's opinion and what's slanted versus if there was an organization that they just created news, like it was just the facts, would that be a viable entity? Is it even possible? Because all of us have inherent bias, right? I mean... It is possible. It's been done before. It didn't used to be like this. There's always been opinion and stuff, but it didn't used to be like this. I had a college professor who was the editor-in-chief of a newspaper who fired a reporter because that reporter went to an Eagles concert while they were campaigning for whatever Democrat for president. I don't remember which one. It was before I was alive, but the Eagles apparently toured and... Uh, campaigned for a Democrat running for president. And because this professor's reporter went to their concert, not went to a rally or anything, went to their concert, this professor, former editor, determined that they could not do their job adequately because they supported somebody who was campaigning for someone. I mean, that's how, that's how it used to be run. Hmm. And it's not like that anymore. No. Yeah, it's just... No, it's not. Larry and Jackson says, I think we went wrong when news became entertainment. Yeah. Yep. So when they, see... Remember when headline news was a channel? Yeah. That, that that was the closest that I can remember that. They were just talking about the news. They didn't have shows. Jerome headline yeah. sports. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, exactly. But they didn't have a, a show where the host became like a celebrity. It was just, we're just repeating the headlines all day long. That's... As close as you can get, and obviously, it's not what people want. Someone suggests that One America is a place where you can go for that. Is it, though? Jason says, I would pay through the nose for a legitimate news source. Somebody says, yes, it would work. Just somebody who would report straight facts with references and quotes. Mike poses a mind-bender of a question. We will get to that. We will also get to an emerging story out of the state of Louisiana that has nothing to do with Hurricane Laura. Ooh, Sports Talk Mississippi. Tip of the cap to my man Eric Kennard. Kennard. Kennard or Kennard? Kennard. Kennard. He is on Twitter at DogBusDriver. Big E, as he is more affectionately known to many, has been a bus driver primarily for Mississippi State for a really long time. Got a pretty good spot in the outfield at Duty Noble, and he is known to man the grill and cook ribs at baseball games when he is not sitting in the booth with binoculars next to Jim Ellis. That's usually more on road games than home games. Anyway, all-around good dude and an icon in the state of Mississippi, tweeted earlier and tagged us in it. In Beaumont, Texas, along with 399 other buses and drivers assisting with Hurricane Laura evacuation. Rain has just begun. Got to try to outrun 135-mile-per-hour winds. 
Richard Cross, STM, and the JT Show, Think I Can, and he tagged at Hale State. Nice. Be safe, Big E. You're doing the uh, doing the Lord's work right now. Very, uh, very good. That hurricane is ugly, man. It has reached Category 4 status, and they were just discussing on the Weather Channel a little while ago whether or not it could potentially get to Category 5 oh. before it makes landfall. Do you see how they described the storm surge? Unsurvivable. Uh, unsurvivable, I think, is the word that the National Hurricane Center mm. used. And water up to 30 miles inland. Like, that's how far the storm surge can go inland. 30 miles. Yeah, and they're they're looking at a track. Like, landfall projections are eastern Texas, western Louisiana. Looks like right around Beaumont, maybe kind of the, the area that they're most concerned about. But Beaumont, Lake Charles, kind of the, the Texas-Louisiana borders there, really high areas of concern. But in terms of potential flooding, they show a line across the Gulf Coast that goes from Beaumont, Texas, up perhaps all along the coast of Louisiana, wraps around the boot of Louisiana, and gets all the way to the coast of Mississippi. That is massive. In Lake Charles, they're expecting, and this is east of where it's going to make landfall on Thursday morning, the expectation is for 110-plus mile-an-hour gusts of wind. It is big Unfathomable. scary. Big, big, big scary. Not good. Not good. And you think about it. I mean, you're talking about between Houston, Texas, and Lake Charles, hundreds of thousands of people that live in that corridor of the country. And Everett pointed out in his tweet, I mean, you're talking about 40 buses. I'm sorry, 400 buses. 400 buses with 50 people on each bus? That's still only 20,000 people evacuated. But good for uh, for Everett, and I guess it's Klein that he works for now, doing a great job trying to help with the evacuation process. That's scary. The track that they've got Laura going, I mean, it makes... It makes landfall east of Houston, west of Lake Charles, right around Beaumont. Circles its way kind of up the western edge of the state of Louisiana into Arkansas, then takes a right-hand turn, perhaps clips Memphis, and then continues east and goes off the east coast around Washington, D.C. Crazy big storm that we're talking about. And preparations certainly are uh, underway. It's, um, goodness gracious. Biggest story going on right now. And it's happening in Orlando. But it's what's not happening in Orlando that is the story. Orlando and Milwaukee were scheduled to begin just after 3 o'clock today in their NBA playoff game. Oklahoma City and Houston are scheduled to play at 5.30. Portland and the Lakers are scheduled to play at 8 o'clock tonight. I have lots of questions about this. The Bucks boycotted the game. Does that mean they're forfeiting the game? It is hard for me to believe 
yeah, in the current political NBA. climate that the NBA would force them to forfeit that game. Well, according to Shams just now, um, Orlando refuses to accept the forfeit. Oh, okay. So okay. the game will not be forfeited. And apparently the Bucks players are in the locker room trying to get in contact with the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, so Shams' tweet says, Bucks players in the locker room attempting to reach the Attorney General of Wisconsin, Josh Call. Magic players are leaving the arena, uh, arena soon, not accepting the Bucks forfeit. Will we see all three games postponed, delayed, boycotted, etc.? Yes. Even LeBron now has said, expletive this, man. We demand change. Sick of it. So... Context tells you that probably means he's not in. And I, I've seen multiple NBA people suggest that the end, I mean, this might be the beginning of the end of the bubble. Really? Wow. I mean, it's. Um, the, so it's you a, don't. You think there is a legitimate possibility. That the NBA season ended with Milwaukee refusing to go on the court. I can't decide. I, I, I honestly, I, I can't decide because there's no way the Bucks are in the locker room right now trying to talk to the Attorney General and are gonna play tomorrow or two days from now, right? But what happens if one team doesn't want to boycott? Doc Rivers earlier today, who has been outspoken about the most recent incident, said, no, we should play. That not playing doesn't accomplish anything. So what happens if the Clippers are like, wait, we're not, we're going to play? I I don't know. I mean, this is unfolding so quickly. And I mean, on one hand, I want to say, at least if nothing else, it is unselfish of them to sacrifice money, real money, big money, to not play for a cause that they believe in. Whether or not you believe in it or think it's right or whatever, I mean, it's not selfish of them to make that decision. But on the other hand, I keep looking at this and thinking, not playing tonight is not going to stop the next officer-involved shooting that you disagree with. It's not going to stop it. And all that's going to happen now is instead of random guy putting the Lakers game on tonight, he'll start Yellowstone on Netflix or whatever it's on. And people are just going to check out. And the thing about athletes and activism is the reason why LeBron James, for example, when he speaks, so many people listen, it's because he's LeBron James. He's the best basketball player in the world. Well, when there's no more basketball to be played and there's no more media opportunities and all that good stuff, your name and your voice and your platform disappears. So are you really willing to not not wreck your league, but maybe that's what's going to happen? But are you really willing to push so many people away and not be seen anymore? That's a choice that they are potentially making right now. Because if you do this, and it, maybe they're okay with it, but if you do this, you are pushing people away that will never come back. And people are already going away and not coming back. So you're, 
Forty million. Shams just tweeted: Rockets OKC players are planning to boycott Game Five yeah, of their it, series. It, the, bu- the bubble might end, and if they're okay with that, that's that's fine. But if people keep tuning out and never coming back because of stuff like this, and you can agree with the players and think what they're doing is just, because a lot of people I follow, sports media and stuff, agree with them and think what they're doing is good, and you can think it's misinformed and and awful. But if they're willing to do this, they have to understand that the repercussions that follow are no more $40 million Supermax contracts. All that stuff will get smaller. And if they're willing to do that, you know that's up to them. I don't think they realize how insignificant athletes truly are and how insignificant basketball games really are. Not playing this basketball game is not going to change anything. But if if they're uncomfortable playing or whatever, that's up to them. But they are on the precipice of altering their league for a long time, if not ever, for something that may not make any bit of a difference. And maybe that's insensitive for me to say, but that's reality. This is going to cause people to tune it out forever. And if you're okay with that, great. But it's going to cost you, at least financially. Yeah, I mean, my question in all of this is to what end? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Okay, you're trying to get the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin on the phone. Okay. You're protesting. Is there something you're demanding? There's something you're asking for? I mean, this have to this has to change. You have to be a little more specific than that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Be right back. You make the rockin' world go round. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Quick first hour on this Wednesday. I want to go through the C Spire text line because what I see on the ceasefire text line, which I think is at least partially representative of our listening audience, and what I see on my Twitter feed, and in fairness, let's see, I follow just a little over 1,800 people. It's a mix of sports people and news people and people that I've just randomly followed along the way because they said something interesting and I hit follow. Probably too many, but whatever. So what I'm seeing on my Twitter feed is not representative of the ceasefire text line. But I do think the ceasefire text line is far more representative of of our listening audience than my Twitter feed is. So a mix of Hurricane Laura text messages and NBA text messages. Jeff says a friend of mine lives in Beaumont, Texas. He and his uh, family evacuated a couple of days ago, went to uh, Oklahoma to get away. Russell says Katrina Part 2. That's scary. Vance says, lump in my throat for Big E. Talking about Everett, the bus driver, our friend. He says, I went through Katrina as a firefighter and saw things you shouldn't. Godspeed to those folks. 
Everett part of a group of 400 bo- uh, bus drivers that are currently in Beaumont, Texas, loading up to help with the evacuation process. Jeff in Hattiesburg wants to know why we are giving publicity to the NBA players. Well, Jeff, it's not that we're giving them publicity. We are discussing what is a massive sports story. And it is a sports talk show. It's right there in the name. Uh, A Bloomberg financial terminal provides headline news from all over the world. Extremely expensive, but just the facts, unlike Bloomberg TV. Yes, the Bloomberg terminal is what has made Michael Bloomberg worth $60 billion. It's a wildly successful, and it's it's what stock traders all over the world use to keep up with news. All right, this kind of, we transition into the uh, the messages about the NBA. Hopefully sponsors advert and advertisers boycott the NBA. Question, why are they refusing to go on the court? It's related to the police shooting and as a, a form of protest by the NBA players, the, uh, the shooting. Hold on. I'm not fair, sure it's fair to call it a police shooting. That's just kind of what people... The shooting that involved a police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, over the weekend. I believe it's less than an hour drive from Milwaukee, too. 30 miles from the arena. King Biscuit says, do we even have all the facts in the most recent incident yet? It's a firm no, but people don't need facts anymore, King Biscuit. Jacob Equipment says, why the boycott? I feel out of the loop. Yeah, I mean, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, their arena, 30 miles from Kenosha, where this shooting happened over the weekend. It doesn't... Is is it... Look, I'm just going to say it, okay? I started to tiptoe around it. I'm just going to say it. Is it all bothersome that nobody talks about why this man was shot? Could police have avoided shooting... Maybe so. Probably so. I am by no means saying that this should have happened. But there was a way for this to be prevented beyond just not pulling the trigger. Fighting with police officers, allegedly while having a knife, wrestling yourself away from being tased, Going to your car while being told by police officers who have gun drawn to stop, 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 and continuing on reaching into your car, all of these are provocative actions. If at any point this man surrenders himself, he's not dealing with the injuries and I think it was reported paralysis that he's dealing with today. But nobody wants to talk about that piece of it. I just want to put that out there. Craig says Giannis accepted his defensive MVP last night on national television with a national audience and did not say one word about this. That's interesting. Do these players not understand how the criminal justice system works? There's an investigation. It takes a reasonable amount of time to gather facts and evidence and to eventually charge someone. It doesn't just happen at the snap of a finger. Guys are out of touch with reality. A number of you say don't care if they ever play. There's several that say nobody listens to LeBron. 
Do the players still get paid if they voluntarily decide not to play a game for any reason? Um, and a bunch more replies. I'm not trying to skip any of yours. Just don't have time to get to all of them. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Hour number two begins after this. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you Wednesday afternoon, 26th of August. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a Seaspire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. The IT experts at Seaspire equip your organization with reliable high-speed internet and industry-leading VoIP phone systems plus 24/7 local support so you can focus on your goals. They've got connectivity covered. See how Seaspire can power your success today at seaspire.com/business. It appears that there are some interesting times in LSU Nation. There was a story this morning at Sports Illustrated from Pat Forty, and it was about the NCAA. Well, more specifically, it was about LSU. With some sources tell me, Quotes related to the NCAA. And the specific point of the article was that LSU was attempting to keep football and basketball related NCAA issues separate. Brooks Kubina, who writes at The Advocate and covers LSU, pointed that The IARP system, which is kind of the arbitrator punishment system that's now in place, not necessarily the penalty matrix and not the Committee on Infractions, but a newer system, the system that was used to punish uh, Kansas and the system that was used to punish Oklahoma State is what the NCAA is attempting to use to ultimately punish LSU, even though the basketball program has not yet received a notice of allegations. But there are three pending NCAA allegations against the LSU football team. One of them is a a bump visit. You know, the uh, coach bumps into a player at an impermissible time. It's a level three deal. One of them is Odell Beckham Jr. making it rain cash for the LSU players after they won the national championship. A couple grand. Also thought to be a level three violation. And the other one is the $180,000 payments that were coming through the Our Lady of the Lake medical system. You know, the whole children's hospital wing of that deal. To uh, pay some guys to come to LSU, but it happened a long time ago. So there's nothing to see here. So that was the Sports Illustrated story this morning. And then you get a big old story from ESPN as well. And boy, this had some stuff in it. So LSU has not gotten its notice of allegations for men's basketball yet. But according to the story from ESPN, the NCAA says LSU men's basketball coach Will Wade either arranged for or offered, hey, Dad, impermissible payments, not benefits, payments 
to at least 11 potential recruits or others around them, according to documents obtained on Wednesday by ESPN. By the way, can we press pause right now and realize what happened yesterday and today? The NCAA got tired of this investigation dragging along, and they released some information to Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated and to ESPN. Can we all agree that that is exactly what happened because these two stories don't just happen to come out within 12 hours of each other? The documents just happen to be discovered. I just need to know on the uh, on the the scale of, of, of offers or how from weak to strong, how strong were these offers? How strong was the offer the NCAA made to Pat Forty and Mark Schleyball oh. to write these stories? Was... It was a big bleeping offer. Correct me if I'm misreading it or, or looking too far into it. 40's piece read to me like the NCAA is doing the Leo Lewis strategy. Again. That they have yeah, spoken with players that players. did not go to LSU. Yeah. And used one of those tools in their toolbox. Isn't that the way it was described? It's one of many tools available in the toolbox? Uh-huh. Immunity. Worked. The documents say the NCAA's enforcement staff received information that Wade arranged for, offered, and or providable impermissible payments, including cash, to at least 11 men's basketball prospective student-athletes, their family members, individuals associated with the players, and or non-scholastic coaches in exchange for the prospects' enrollment at LSU. The allegations were included in the NCAA enforcement staff's request that its infractions case involving LSU men's basketball be adjudicated through the IARP, the Independent Accountability Resolution Process, which was created to handle complex cases. LSU said the university would not comment on Wade's status because it's a pending NCAA matter. Here's what LSU's trying to do. I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but this is what LSU is doing. LSU is saying, number one, we really don't care that much about basketball. Number two, we know you got the goods. Number three, we've already structured Will Wade's contract so we can fire him if there's a level one or level two allegation. So we're going to get rid of him anyway. And number four, football's a big flipping deal around here. So, yes, deal with our basketball program, be it ever so severely. However, what we want is for you to deal separately with the basketball program and the football program. Because while we don't care that much about basketball, we care a whole lot about football. While we know you've got the goods on us in basketball, if football stands on its own in terms of penalties, they're not going to be that severe. While we don't give a flip about Will Wade, Ed Ogeron just won a national championship, and we don't have any language like that to get out of paying him a whole bunch of money. And number four, in case you forgot we mentioned it a second ago, we really, really care a lot about football. They want football to stand on its own, for those three violations I mentioned a second ago, and appear before the Committee on Infractions. 
And they are fully aware that the Committee on Infractions is going to say, well, you're going to lose some recruiting opportunities, and we're going to dock you a couple of scholarships, and we're going to go back and vacate some wins from 2010, 8, 1947, whatever. We don't care. Vacate wins, whatever. But don't make it too serious. No postseason bans for football. No significant recruiting restrictions, minor recruiting restrictions. And by the way, we've already self-imposed some stuff, so you can include that in the punishment. It'll make it look better. But please, we are begging you, please, do not lump football and basketball together and send the whole case at once to the IARP, because you know what's going to happen then? Lack of institutional control. Ding, 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 ding. What blows my mind, there's a couple of things. One, um, at least on the surface, it appears that they actually are investigating the booster that gave a bunch of money uh, through embezzling a children's hospital charity that is actually getting looked at and investigated. It's amazing. Okay. I mean, you would, you would think the conviction would be enough to, to do that, but whatever. And two grand given by Odell Beckham Jr. in front of television cameras and everybody after the national championship to still eligible LSU players uh, is a level three violation, if you can believe that. You know, HBO did the documentary. The, um, oh, what was it called? What was the name of the documentary about LSU basketball? The Scheme. The Scheme. Christian Dawkins was quoted extensively in there. Here, here, here are a couple of his quotes. I think the only way you can interpret someone in a head coaching position saying that they made a strong bleep offer, they ain't talking about a scholarship offer, bro. 100% talking about money. And Dawkins went on to applaud Will Wade for avoiding criminal charges and keeping his job. He said this. Just the audacity. You got to take your hat off to him, man. He not only didn't get charged for anything, not only did the government have all of this information and evidence and nothing was happening on a criminal level, he also basically just said, bleep you to the NCAA and the university he worked for, and he still got to keep his job and make millions of dollars. It's like the perfect storm. Will Wade is definitely a bleeping gangster for what he did. Direct quotes from Christian Dawkins in the HBO documentary, The Scheme. You decide for yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, Borky, I saw that it was being talked about. You said it's now official? Not official, but Brewers players are meeting to discuss their status of tonight's game against the Cincinnati Reds. Hmm. The NBA hmm. has, has already postponed all, which is funny that the NBA has postponed the games. Like they came in at the last second and did this, but all of those games have been postponed. So, yeah. Major League Baseball will be your opportunity tonight, assuming they play. I mean, Milwaukee Brewers. 30 or so, 30, 45 minutes from Kenosha. Okay. Okay. 
Other teams in Major League Baseball? Braves leading the Yankees 4-0, middle of the fourth inning, headed to the bottom of the fourth. Game one of a doubleheader. White Sox beat Pittsburgh earlier today 10-3. I want to go back to something on this LSU story. This was in the story that Schleyball wrote. And I think this is important, and it kind of underscores what I was talking about a second ago with regard to referring the case. The Infractions Referral Committee will decide whether the LSU case is handled by the IARP. We talked about that a second ago, the new board they're using. In a 10-page letter to the IRC... LSU's attorneys did not object to the basketball matter being adjudicated by this entity, IARP, as long as these allegations involving the school's football program aren't included in the case. Listen to their rationale as to why. And by the way, John Duncan at the NCAA disagrees with LSU. LSU argues because the university and enforcement staff agree that the football investigation is complete, which is evident from their discussions of a possible resolution of that case in the weeks prior to the IRC decision on the Kansas referral, LSU stands ready to continue its efforts to resolve the football inquiry through traditional processes and does not believe the delay inherent in this proposal uh, proposed referral is consistent with any of the well-established goals and objectives of the enforcement process. Clearly, Robert Barton, one of LSU's attorneys, along with Mike Glazier, paid zero attention when Ole Miss was being investigated by the National Collegiate Athletics Association. I'm not trying to make any point at all about Ole Miss and NCAA infractions. I'm just saying that statement is disingenuous at best when you talk about delays and things being dragged out. John Duncan, however, in the referral lever to the IRC, argued that basketball and football should be adjudicated together His rationale, the potential football allegations share certain patterns with the basketball investigation, including booster involvement in NCAA violations. The behaviors related to football also could inform on general institutional allegations, such as potential failure to monitor and applicable aggravating or mitigating factors. I wonder if the head of the four-letter organization being a former chancellor of the university who is also connected by marriage to the current athletic director of the university has uh, any sway in this deal. You think? Certainly not, right? Sitting around the Thanksgiving table and somebody goes, this turkey's kind of (laughs) tough. I think this thing got overcooked a little bit. Oh, man. Is this a bone in the dressing? Because they're not going to have anything else to talk about. Shoot Will Wade to the moon, man. This is... What I found so funny is the the way that local media there in Baton Rouge has kind of covered this. uh, Well, really lack thereof. Especially on on our side of things, on the radio side of things. But I understand that in college sports, high-profile recruiting 
has some kind of compensation involved. Uh, Schools in this state are not immune to that. High-profile kids often, not all the time, there are some five-star kids that don't take money. In fact, there have been some that have publicly said, we will not. But that is very common. Understanding all of that, it is also impossibly stupid that the head coach himself is not only arranging these deals, but paying these deals. I get it if it's some booster in New Orleans, you know, some guy that lives in Uptown in a $5 million mansion that knows that there's a five-star down the road and after his that game... That guy didn't care a lick about LSU basketball, just for the record. I know, but you know what I mean. Like, I don't That's care. your stomping ground, hey, Dad? I don't care at all about that. Because the schools can't control that really either. But if if some booster with a bunch of money meets the kid's parents and offers mom a car, you know, that's tough to stop and that's common. But when it's the head coach, shoot him to the moon. That's the problem, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll never... Uh, Morky's right. You, ne- you can never stop boosters from doing what they do. But you can certainly have to stop coaches from getting involved. Coaches have to be able to say... I had no idea. And I know the NCAA has the rules now where the coaches can't really say that, but there can be, there's a difference between, hey, I actually had no idea, but I am culpable under the rules versus, yeah, I knew exactly what was going on. Because I, I did it. Because, yeah, it was me. It was me, Sankey. I mean, it was me point, all along. At, at this point, Will Wade's only defense, if he were to sit down and talk one-on-one, with NCAA investigators, regardless of what proof they have, would just be to hit play on the old Shaggy song, It Wasn't Me. Look it up. Borky, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Okay. Wasn't I me. wish I could play it on the air, but that would take but a lot got me on of it. Ah, it wasn't me. <laughs> Picture this, we were both... Nah, never mind. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, Hey, Dad, you you, you do get the Shaggy reference, don't you? Yes, of course. Just just making sure. I mean, I know you're more listened. You're you're much more well-rounded with cultural references, and they have a a more learned um, music ear, maybe. Sure. I just wanted to make sure. We're on the same page. Wasn't me. But wasn't me. Wait, but wasn't me. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up here. You go the Costanza route. You know, it's not a lie if you believe it. Hmm. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Governor of the state of Mississippi is going to join us in about eight minutes if everything goes as planned. We'll talk with Tate Reeves about his recent executive orders. 1519, I believe, is the uh, the number that was put in place that uh, restricted uh, stadium capacity for Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss. 25% is the number that all three schools are operating under. We will talk with him about uh, how they arrived at that number, what he expects college football to look like. Uh, we're also going to ask him about the high school, school sports because there's been – I feel like there's been very little pushback or frustration as it pertains to 
stadium capacity for the college games because everybody kind of felt like they knew this was coming. But there's been a lot of frustration that has been voiced about this two-per-participating student at high school venues. So I'll ask the governor about that ruling, whether or not he anticipates it remaining in place or changing, what metrics he's looking at to help inform these decisions for college athletics and high school athletics, and um, maybe some other stuff as well. Tate Reeves is going to join us coming up in uh, just a few minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. We are glad to have you along this afternoon. A couple of messages on the ceasefire text line. How are my parents and in-laws going to continue to support my son since they can't attend, uh, attend his games due to the order? They all plan to vote Democrat just to help get rid of him next election, all due to that order. Well, I mean, I understand that there's some people that are not pleased. Derek and Greenwood wants us to ask for clarification about what authority the governor has over private schools. It's a good question. Mike says, you guys remember John Stroud at Ole Miss. Richard, probably the only one old enough to remember him playing. <laughs> Worked with John Stroud. I did not see him play in person. I Shut love up, how Mike. somehow I have been able to make people think that you're the oldest here. Yeah. How old are you, hey, Dad? 44. Yeah, get me by four years. Governor Tate Reeves joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Too. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Happy to welcome in the governor of the state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. And uh, this is the first time that Governor Reeves has joined us on the air. But, uh, Governor, it's not the first time that you've been on this show. You, you took up about an hour a day for about two solid months, somewhere in the April to May range, with uh, with those press conferences. Really appreciate a, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Well, thank you for having me on. And, and I know your listeners are much more interested in talking about sports than listening to those long press conferences. Well, I, it was funny. I was actually talking to somebody, and I don't know if you've kept up with this or anybody in your office has. I'm curious. Do you think you've done more press conferences in your first year as governor than either Phil Bryant or Haley Barber did in the combined 16 years that they were in office? Well, I think that's that's possible. Um, it's not because I wanted to. We just <laughs> when you consider the the number of crises that we've dealt with, 2020 is a is a very challenging year. In fact, uh, I was speaking earlier today with Governor John Bell Edwards down in Louisiana, and and that hurricane is coming ashore somewhere around the Louisiana-Texas border, and he mentioned that it literally is coming ashore at the mean high tide of the month uh, in the state of Louisiana, which is going to cause significant additional water uh, issues, obviously. And as I told him, in 2020, I would believe anything, and um, and that's another example of just this being a crazy year. So, so let's jump into kind of the, the recent sports involvement you've had. Um, first at the collegiate level, it was uh, Executive Order 1519 that uh, that came out last week that kind of set the standards for stadium capacity, uh, and that affects Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss 25%. 
Uh, we've had leaders from the schools tell us that, that they worked a good bit in conjunction with your office to try to kind of present plans and, you know, all of you guys working together to figure out what was going to be best for, for each of the schools. What was that process like, and, and how did you arrive at 25% as the right number to begin the season? Well, we did. We worked very closely with our university presidents and the chancellor at Ole Miss, and we worked very closely with the athletic directors, and, and we appreciate their involvement. Um, you know, we, wanna, we want to find a scenario wherein we can have collegiate athletics but make sure that we can do so in a safe, responsible way. And so when you think about the individual stadiums throughout the state and you actually take the time to break down the individual parts of those stadiums, for instance, uh, the 25% rule is, is as it relates to the bowl, and we've had a 25, not more than 25% limit for outdoor venues for four or five months. And so we were just able to take our previous executive order and apply it to the football stadiums because we know that we can put 25% capacity in a large outdoor arena such as that and do it in a safe way. And then you look at, for instance, we took the club area and we looked at it as a unique uh, venue, if you would, and we took the outdoor part of club areas in Vaught Hemingway or in um, Davis Wade, et cetera, and we said if you're outdoor, those same rules are going to apply, the 25% rule. But if you're indoor, we're going to say that we're going to approach it as if it were a restaurant. We already have rules in place for restaurants. If you set up hmm. tables that are more than six feet apart, that you're sitting in, in groups of less than eight, um, then you can do that in a safe, responsible way, and we limit capacity there to 50%. And then we take each individual suite, and we look at them as an individual setting and as long as folks are not um, riding up in elevators, for instance, with very large numbers of people, we can certainly get them in those suites, have half capacity, and do so in a safe way where the, we limit the likelihood of spread of the virus. We're not ever going to eliminate it. We know that. But we certainly can take necessary steps to mitigate and minimize the risk to the participants. So, Governor, you pointed out that, that it's these large stadiums that allowed you to do that. We have consistently gotten text questions and Twitter questions and people asking, okay, what's the difference in these college stadiums being able to have 25% capacity and the high schools where you're only getting two um, attendees per participant? And I guess that's football and band and cheerleaders and, and kind of all of those rolled in. And there's considerable frustration uh, because there are people who are like, well, I, I can't go see my grandson play or, you know, my, my, my parents won't be able to go see their grandson play or, or their granddaughter play. So, so what's the difference in those two? Well, first of all, the stadium size uh, is a big difference. Um, certainly it is, it is much uh, easier to do social distancing when you have a stadium of, of 60 or 70,000 uh, than it is in some of the stands that, like they were at my old high school in Florence. Um, but what I'll tell you also is um, we're, we're continuing to monitor that. Uh, the biggest difference when we implemented the two-per-participant rule, it was in the middle of August. In the middle of August, we were seeing significant improvements in our numbers. But remember, it was, it was uh, July the 29th when we hit our peak, where over a seven-day period, uh, we had 9,100 cases from Saturday to Friday. And so what we're hopeful of as we move and look out into uh, September as college football comes online, 
Uh, we hope that there's significantly less community spread. We've certainly had four and a half positive weeks in terms of the total numbers. And so I say the number one difference is the, uh, the timing. Uh, if, if, if sports at the high school level had started, say, in mid-September, maybe we could have started a different area. But because we're continuing to see positive movement in the numbers, uh, we may be able to loosen that a little bit. That's certainly my goal. But I would also remind everybody, and I know there's significant frustration out there by parents and grandparents and others, and, and justifiably so. Um, I'm frustrated as well. But I will tell you, I spent the weekend in North Carolina. They not only have no high school sports, they have no youth sports in the entire state of North Carolina, at least until after the election. And so um, we've got to prioritize student athletes and making sure that those kids get on the field and, and, and to do so in a safe way to make sure that we, um, that we don't see significant increases in numbers that stress our health care system. Uh, we've got to do it in a way that is, that is maybe a little bit um, it's definitely cautious, maybe overly cautious, according to some. And I understand the frustration, and we're looking at ways to to loosen those restrictions. In the governor, you've mentioned you've mentioned the numbers a couple of times, and we're all kind of trying to follow the numbers. And maybe sometimes we know what we're looking at, and sometimes we don't. And we're, we're looking at these positive test results. And then as a backdrop to that, you get the story from the National Football League over the weekend, where there was a lab in New Jersey that said they had some contamination issues that led to 77 false positives. I had a conversation with my wife this morning who's got a medical background. She was talking with a doctor who told her her biggest frustration, that the doctor's biggest frustration, is a lab that they're dealing with in Florida and the false positives. How, how can we trust the numbers from the test results? Or maybe the better question is, how are you deciphering what those numbers mean in terms of positives versus false positives and how much that should direct the decisions you're having to make? Well, and that's a great question. And what I would tell you is, I think you have to take every single you have to take every single number in, in the context of all of the data points that you have. Okay, and so you know when when we first of all talk about total number of positive cases on a daily basis, uh, that's something that's important to know. But what's really important is is when the State Department of Health has the time to do the contact tracing. And so if you look at their website, it's they don't list necessarily the daily number of new cases because, you know, again, if you test, you got, that has some tests on Monday and some tests on Tuesday and some tests on Wednesday, and those are reported on Thursday. So what's it really important in terms of, of that particular number is the date of onset of illness. And so when the health department has the opportunity to contact trace, to go back and talk to those who have tested positive, determine exactly when it was that they test, not only when they tested positive, but when they started feeling symptoms um, that gives us much better data and much better information. Um, th there are uh, a number of tests that are significantly less reliable than others. The serology tests are, for instance, more so. Um, the testing that is done uh, at our state lab certainly is more so. And, and then these um, tests that are more rapid tests in nature, they are definitely more susceptible to false positives and false negatives, by the way. So. Well, the, the numbers that we really want to spend a lot of time looking at, because you've heard me say this, if you listen to any of my press conferences, everyone I've tried to say, our number one goal here is not to completely eliminate the spread of this virus, because the reality is that's not possible. That's not a plausible goal. I learned a long time ago playing sports and in education that you've got to have realistic goals that, are, that you can possibly achieve and possibly attain. Eradicating the spread of the virus is not one of those. But what is possible is that we slow the spread enough 
that we have a health care system such that every single individual in Mississippi that gets the virus that can get better with quality care receives that quality care. And so the numbers that really matter uh, to me, um, if you're just looking at two or three to look at, is total number of hospitalizations, total number of patients in ICU beds, and total number of patients that are on ventilators. And the good news yeah. with respect to that is all three of those areas have been coming down significantly for the last uh, 20 to 25 days. And so, for instance, at our peak, we had 339 patients in ICU beds across Mississippi. Today, that number was below 235. So we're, well, almost 40% below the peak. Trending in the right direction. Come down. Yeah. Governor, the time is too short. I really appreciate you jumping on with us. Had plenty more questions. Maybe we can uh, can have another conversation again in the near future. Thanks for jumping on with us, and uh, we'll hope that the numbers continue to go down so that those stadium capacities can continue to go up. Uh, that's certainly my goal. All right. That's Governor Tate Reeves joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll take a quick time out. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. was the last one you thought you'd see there. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks to Governor Tate Reeves for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Would have loved to have had more time with the governor. Appreciate uh, him spending uh, a segment with us this afternoon. And, you know, the, the thing that I think there were some people that wanted to, to have an understanding of is kind of the difference in the way private schools are governed in relation to public schools and kind of where the power to make those decisions lies. Uh, would have loved to have gotten there. Uh, obviously, he uh, talked a lot about the, the testing uh, when I asked uh, that question as well. To me, the most encouraging part of that interview, and, and I don't know if you guys kind of picked up on this or, or feel the same way, is that the governor's not standing in settled concrete with regard to stadium capacity. Whether you're talking about the two per participant at the high school level or the 25% at the collegiate level, numbers getting better, metrics getting better in terms of coronavirus will lead to, and I think the governor pointed out at the end that he wants it to lead to larger numbers of people being able to go to these games, period. If our numbers get better, Hattiesburg, Oxford, Starkville can all raise the capacity limits within their stadiums. Maybe it turns into three or four people per participant at the high school level. And that's what we all want. First of all, we want the games to happen. Second, we want to be able to watch them. And that piece of it is encouraging to me. Now, maybe it's common sense. Maybe you say, well, duh, Richard, of course. But duh, of course, I don't think is really a acceptable answer there because you got a lot of people that have just shut the whole thing down. Like, if it gets better in California, they're not picking up college football or the Pac-12 in October. If things get better in Big Ten country, they're not going to all of a sudden start playing in the middle of November. Whereas, where we are, not only is the plan to play in September, at the end of September... But if it goes well in terms of coronavirus numbers, then more people are going to be able to watch by the middle of October in person. That'd be great. And contrast that with, you mentioned Big Ten country. The governor of Michigan said she is glad that the Big Ten canceled football for this season. 
Could you imagine if Tate Reeves would have said that? If Greg Sankey and the SEC and the presidents decided to cancel the season and the governor of this state in a press conference said, I am glad that happened, could you imagine what the reaction would have been like? Who's that, Meg Whitmer? Yep. And going back to Stuart Mandel, maybe that's a little bit of that. Like, Do you want to be associated with that comment? No, you don't, especially if you're a no. college football writer. So. Yeah. No, you don't want to be associated with that. And, and look, I mean, there were a lot of you were texting in questions and, oh, you should have asked this and, oh, you should have asked that. And look, so sitting governor of the state of Mississippi, if you think I'm not going to be respectful in the way that I ask questions, you don't know me. That's just not how I'm going to operate. Maybe you would handle an interview differently. That's fine. That's fine. When you get the opportunity, you can ask questions however you want to. And I don't, that, that, that's not, I'm not being flippant and I'm not talking down when I say that. But there were two or three things that I wanted to specifically find out from the governor. And you know, when you interview a politician, he's going to have long answers. So you better prioritize what you want to ask. Because <laughs> probably not going to get to ask a whole lot. That's just how it works. Yeah, that hard break um, snuck up on you. I didn't. I was sitting there watching the clock. I was uh, thinking, well, come well. on, come on, governor. Finish up this answer. <laughs> Finish up. I got something else I want to get to. <laughs> One more question. Oh, I'm not going to have time. That's, uh, that's how it goes. So uh, somebody sent us a message that said, Governor Half Whitmer in Michigan. It, that's the same one, right, that tried to get preferential treatment to get her boat in the water when she issued the stay-at-home order? Same person, right? That's one. Her husband. Oh, yeah, her husband. I'm sorry. What What would you do if I said this was for the governor? Uh, still no, Jack. The answer you know is no. What? <laughs> Tell you what, though, buddy. If you hand me five crisp $100 bills, I will get your boat to the front of the line. I don't care who your spouse is. <laughs> I did get an email a long time ago, by the way, asking me about going to commercial while we were discussing something out of my control. So if you think that I cut off Tate Reeves, nope. We have to pay the bills around here, and I can't stop that from happening. (laughs) It's what's called hard time breaks, and we don't have any way of getting out of them. When those commercials fire, they fire on all 11 Super Talk Mississippi stations across the state of Mississippi. And 12. I could keep talking into the microphone for the, in, I'm sorry, 12 Super Talk Mississippi stations so across the state, all 82 job. counties. Say what? It was so subtle, mate. 12. My bad. Just, it, my bad. 12 it was 11 for a while. 12 is still relatively new. Fair enough. Hey, we got some cool stuff on the horizon that we're looking forward to telling you about in the next couple of days. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us Wednesday afternoon. What a day in the sports world. The NBA bubble, and I know a lot of people don't care. I get that. When we talk about, you know, NBA, not a huge deal in the state of Mississippi. Nationally, it's a really big deal. In the sports world, it's a really big deal. The NBA bubble is on the verge of collapse. 
not just for tonight, but for the remainder of the playoffs. The Milwaukee Brewers baseball team has boycotted their game tonight. I don't even know who they were supposed to play. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And this is in relation to the shooting that took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. This is Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at Supertalk Mississippi. Supertalk.fm, I should say. Number four, the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Want more fast, less furious? Switch to Gigabit, Ceasefire Fiber, and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash fiber. We'll get to the college football fix in a minute. I just want to press pause on that for a second. Because I want to ask this question, and I want to ask it out loud. And there are people, lots and lots and lots of people, who vehemently disagree with me even asking this question, and that's okay. There are people who say, Richard, by asking this question, you are willingly admit you don't understand. You don't get it. And that's okay. But I'm still going to ask the question. Why is everything an absolute? Why do we have to deal in absolutes? Only sits still in absolutes. I'm sorry? Just keep Only going. who? Simps? I didn't hear what you said. Siths. Siths. Okay. Um, And here's what I'm getting at. We are dealing with another shooting that is tragic. And I think the biggest reason that it is tragic 29-year-old Jacob Blake shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin by a police officer. Shot seven times. To me, the biggest reason that it was tragic is because there were three children in the car. That is the first and foremost biggest tragedy for me. You could say that's callous, that it should be that a police officer shot a black man. Um, Okay, you're entitled to your opinion. The biggest tragedy for me is that three children were in the car and saw Jacob Blake shot directly in front of them. Could this shooting have been avoided? The answer is yes on multiple fronts, and this is the part that people aren't going to like. First of all, it is altogether possible that the police officer who pulled the trigger seven times didn't have to do it. I don't know all the details of the situation. I was not there. I was not in the shoes of that police officer. I do know that police officers, generally speaking, 
are taught to try to use restraint. But in the event that they feel their life is in jeopardy, their protocol allows them to fire their weapons. It's the reason that police officers carry handguns on their person. That's why they do it, to protect themselves in those situations and to protect others as well. But it appears as if potentially this situation could have ended without Jacob Blake being shot. So that's one way it could have ended without Jacob Blake being shot. The unpopular take and the take that not a lot of people are saying right now, though, is there's another way that it could have ended without Jacob Blake being shot. And that is if he had cooperated with the police. If he had not fought back, allegedly with a knife, if he had not fought back after being tased, if he had not continued to walk away while the police were telling him to stop and to freeze and to get down while they had their guns drawn, and if he had not entered into his vehicle while being followed police with their guns drawn. If at any of those points he had cooperated with police, my assumption is he would not have been shot. And while, yes, there may very well be blame that deservedly lands on the shoulders of the officer who shot Jacob Blake, Jacob Blake deserves some blame as well. And if you don't see both sides of that, I cannot help you. Do we have a problem in the United States of America with the way some police officers treat people of color? Yes, clearly. The answer to that is yes. But the majority of police officers are good men and good women. And they come from all walks of life, and many of them are also of color. And painting all police officers in a negative light because of the actions of some who do not do the right thing is unfair to the law enforcement community as a whole. You can say me saying that makes me fill in the blank. Fair enough. I'm a big boy. I can take it. But look, my job is to host a radio show and talk about what's going on. Stick to sports, Richard. Well, it's kind of affecting sports. It's affecting sports. There's a Major League Baseball team that says they're not going to play tonight because they're boycotting the injustice of Jacob Blake's death. And not just Jacob Blake's death. The Breonna Taylor story is tragic beyond the ability to describe with words. And the Milwaukee Bucks had a player, a a current player, a couple years ago, have a run-in with police that should not have happened the way it did. That's correct. And those events are out there, and yes, we we need change. I don't understand, and and maybe I'm small-minded, maybe I'm simple, maybe you just think I'm dumb. 
I don't understand how boycotting your job, and it's a job. And by the way, we're reminded by that all the time by professional athletes. This is my job. It's not my, you know, it's what I do. It's not who I am. Okay, that's fine. But it's their job. If I choose to boycott my job, like if the music starts at 3.06 and I'm supposed to say Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, we're glad to have you along. Here's what we're going to get into this afternoon and then begin the show. If I don't tell anyone that I'm planning on not being here today and I wait until the music starts and then I go, I'm not doing my show today. Do you know how that would be received? Not particularly well. Could very well cost me my job. I'm not... I'm having a little bit of disconnect on why... I understand that the NBA players want to use their voice. But I go back to where I started on this. We don't operate in a world of absolutes. Some cops are bad. Most cops are not. Racial injustice exists. It doesn't exist everywhere. Injustice is not limited to people of color. Injustice exists in all walks of life. Are some people more privileged than others? Sure. Do some people work harder than others? Yes. Just, I'm having trouble with, let's shut it down, and that's going to fix things. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Put it on pause for a minute, but it's time for us to get into the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Summer sales event going on. Great savings on full, full lineup of SUVs. Plus, uh, savings on the F-150, the best-selling truck in America. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Borky, when he was putting together the rundown today, decided this this was going to be pick on LSU game day. I'm just I'm just a pawn in his game. I find it fun. Ed Ogeron is upset that other schools may be organizing recruiting visits because he follows the rules. <laughs> hey, Dad. I can't get by all his, means continue. I can't get through his quote without laughing. It's it's two lines, and I can't get through it without laughing. Here's the story from uh, Saturday down south. Current NCAA rules prevent any official visits or in-person contact until October first. But that was only going to last so long, and now prospects are starting to visit campuses across the country. However, considering the NCAA has postponed all recruiting activities, programs are not permitted to pay for travel for recruits to visit to campus. 
Nothing, though, stops recruits from visiting on their own. Not allowed to make contact with any members of the coaching staff. They're not supposed to be given a tour of the facilities during their trips to campus. Over the weekend, there were several prospects that showed up in Athens for a visit, including a five-star defensive lineman from California, a five-star Louisiana defensive lineman, and they were hosted, air quotes, by a few Georgia commits, including quarterback Brock Vandegriff. Oklahoma commit Caleb Williams had a similar uh, held a similar event over the weekend for Sooner Targets. During his press conference on Tuesday, Ed Ogeron was asked about whether he's encouraged recruits to visit the LSU campus, much like others may be doing. Ed said, We haven't done that. Obviously, we will follow the rules. I'm not going to comment on other stuff. Let's see how the NCAA handles it, but I think it's getting pushing line a little bit, but we'll see. I'll read it again. Ed says, we have not done that. Obviously, we want to follow the rules. <laughs> I'll take Our Lady of the Lake for 500 Alex? I bet you do, Ed. I bet you do. I'm not going to comment on other stuff. Let's see how the NCAA handles it, but I think it's getting it's pushing the line a little bit, but we'll see. Here's what I'm going to say. You can you you guys may disagree with me on this. Recruiting um maybe at its best has always uh, no let me say it a different way. The people who are best in recruiting have always 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 found ways to exploit the rules to live in the gray area, to get right up to the edge without necessarily breaking the rules. Usually, that leads to rules modifications when it becomes common practice, generally speaking. This practice at Oklahoma and Georgia strikes me as a stroke of genius. Prospects can't be hosted by coaches. What's the thing that we've always talked about in recruiting? Hey, Dad, when you get a big commitment early in the process, it is a coup when that guy becomes what? Becomes a recruiter. He becomes your biggest recruiter. You've always heard coaches talking about that. You've heard recruits talking about it. You've heard recruiting analysts talk about it. Once a certain guy commits... He then takes on the role of lead recruiter within a particular recruiting cycle. He reaches out to other guys. He talks the school up. This is a stroke of genius at Georgia and Oklahoma. Take your highest profile commits that have been on visits, that know the lay of the land, and they become the hosts. It's an unofficial capacity. They're not speaking on behalf of the coaches but they are speaking on behalf of the program that they have committed to. And frankly, the fact that Kirby Smart and the folks at Georgia figured this out and Lincoln Riley and the folks at Oklahoma figured this out and have taken advantage of it means that they're playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. You guys disagree with that? No. Good on Georgia. That's what I thought when I read this is, honestly, 
Ed, if you're not doing this, you should be. You should yeah. be. Yeah, you got. No, it's 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 within the rules. Eh. Eh. Ish, ish, kinda. Technically, why would you not take care of it? Why would you not get it get on board? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I did find it hilarious though. On the same day, the same day, we learned. And maybe we should have already known this, but a story comes out on Sports Illustrated, one of the biggest sports publications in the country. A story comes out that says Ed Orgeron had impermissible contact with a recruit. He says that other schools are having impermissible contact with recruits and the NCAA should do something about it. The Bumpo. same day. <laughs> and I mean, you know, LSU would certainly never uh, cross state lines to recruit uh, a particular uh, player that throws the ball uh, that is enrolled in a different school. LSU, and especially at Ordron, has never done something like that before. Ever. Because they, they play by the rules. Never done that. <clears throat> hmm. A quarterback is what I'm talking about. Yeah, never, never done that. Somebody said the in uh, the NCAA will find that it violates the spirit of the rule. Maybe the LSU is having to do things a little bit differently right now because they're dealing with the NCAA on multiple fronts. Hey, Dad, I'm not making this about Ole Miss, but when new information surfaces, that can cause an investigation to suddenly reopen. Has been and other things are looked into. Yeah. Yeah. When you thought that the that the the resolution was near, was nigh, if you prefer. We're so close. Yeah. Well, I just I mean it's fine. my guess is as long as the investigation goes, the worse the penalties are gonna be for Colorado State. Can we get Mary Harden Baylor again? I'd forgot about poor Mary Arden Baylor. <laughs> I mean, that's college sports in a nutshell, right? And, and I, I hope, I, I was talking to my dad about this last night, um, that I think college football as we know it is going to be altered. Because name, image, and likeness is coming soon. Even if COVID has nothing to do with it, that's coming soon. But like I've said before, if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 pull this off, if they play a, a schedule... Even if it's not full, if they play nine games on average each and they finish the season and have conference championship games, forget the playoff. Conference championship games. College football, as we know it, is changed forever. Because they will all have done this all by themselves with the NCAA telling them they shouldn't and passive-aggressively talking in the media about why they shouldn't do it. If they pull it off and save tens of millions of dollars on their campus and save their sports and push forward, college football will be forever changed. That's happening if they're able to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. C-SPIRE text line 601-879-4395. You can also always... uh, Shoot us a message on Twitter at Sports Talk M I S S.
Glad to have you along this afternoon. Half an hour with you. And things are not getting any better in our nation's capital for Dan Snyder. And Roger Goodell has released a statement. You haven't heard the newest allegations from the Washington Post against Snyder and the Redskins. We'll give you some of the details when we get back. Sports Talk Mississippi. So a big old 5,500-word story today in the Washington Post that accuses Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington football team, of receiving an outtakes video from the 2008 swimsuit calendar shoot. Brad Baker, who previously worked for former senior vice president and lead broadcaster Larry Michael, told the Post, the Washington Post, in an interview that Michael told members of his staff to make the video for Snyder, featuring clips of partially nude team cheerleaders pulled from the swimsuit calendar shoot. For his part, Larry Michael denied the allegations. Uh, this guy, Brad Barker, said, Larry said something to the effect of, we have a special project that we need to get done for the owner today. He needs us to get the good bits of the behind-the-scenes video from the cheerleader shoot onto a DVD for him. Snyder issued a statement on Wednesday saying he was unaware of the allegations in the story and denied any knowledge of a, quote, 10-year-old video, close quote. He went on to say, I did not request their creation, and I never saw them. The videos. Snyder added that the Post refused to provide copies of the videos to the team to be forensically evaluated and authenticated. Another guy that Baker claims was involved in making the video denies that he was ever asked to create any such video. In his statement, Snyder said, I want to unequivocally state that this never happened. I'm sorry, this was in relation to another allegation. Former cheerleader Tiffany Bacon Scurby said Snyder suggested at a 2004 charity event that she, quote, join his close friend in a hotel room so they could get to know each other, close quote. Snyder said that Scurby never brought any allegations of the alleged 2004 incident to management's attention in her eight, her eight years as a cheerleader or at any time in the past 16 years. For his part, Dan Snyder says, Even before today's article, I have begun taking any and all steps necessary to ensure that the Washington football team is an organization that is diverse, inclusive, and respectful of all. That was not good enough for NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who re- released this statement. We strongly condemn the unprofessional, disturbing, and abhorrent behavior and workplace environment alleged in the report, which is entirely inconsistent with our standards and has no place in the NFL. An independent investigation into these issues is in process, led by a highly experienced counsel recommended by our office. 
We will continue to monitor the progress of this investigation and ensure that the club and employees satisfy their obligation to get full cooperation of the investigators. If at any time the club or anyone associated with the club fails to do so, the investigating council has been asked to promptly advise our office and we will take appropriate action. When the investigation concludes, we will review the findings and take any appropriate action at that time. When's the last time good news came out of Washington, D.C., as it pertains to the Washington football team? When they drafted Chase Young? Oh, yeah. That was good. I mean, he can play. And then the Alex Smith stuff is pretty cool. But as far as the franchise, it's a disaster. Everything about it. I mean, forget the name change for a second. I know people have different opinions about that, but... Everything else, I mean, roster management, hiring and firing coaches, acquiring talent, ownership, cheerleader situations. This isn't the first story we've gotten about mishandling of the cheerleading team. I remember before the big story broke a few weeks ago, I told you about a story that came out a couple years ago that kind of flew under the radar where the cheerleading team was told, forced, to go on dates with older men. I mean, that kind of stuff... All-encompassing. Probably the worst-run franchise in sports. And it's funny because when I was younger, that was one of the best franchises in sports. Consistently a threat to win, to win a Super Bowl. Won, what, Back when Joe them? Gibbs was running the show, Joe right? Joe Gibbs was running the show, yeah. I mean, they, they, were, they were always in the playoff picture. They dominated the NFC East. And now, yeah, they, I mean, when's the last time they were good? Not, not even Super Bowl contender. Not even, you know, one of the best teams. Just good. Just good. I don't even remember. It's been a while. Yeah. I don't have the volume turned up on it. I'm watching a clip on Twitter. Could not hear what Kenny Smith said. Inside the NBA... Best studio sports show that's out there. Usually highly entertaining. They tackle controversial issues head-on as well. Barkley and Shaq and Kenny Smith and uh, Ernie Johnson is the host. And Kenny Smith, in a show of solidarity with the players, said whatever it is that he said that I couldn't hear, unplugged his microphone and his earpiece, and walked off set. walking out on his job. Milwaukee Brewers player representative Brent Suter called this, quote, a collective Reds Brewers decision not to play tonight to focus on our community hurting and the issues that are bigger than baseball, close quote. So the Brewers are not playing tonight. There may be more. I haven't seen that there are more, but I've seen... A lot of people, and I've received a couple of texts myself from people saying that, well, I'll never watch professional sports again. And I certainly understand that. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong or anything. Uh, This is a free country. You don't have to watch anything at all. But I will say that if you expect this to not happen on your college football field, 
you've got another thing coming. And so I, I said this a while ago on the Sunday show. I don't think I did here, but it, it bears repeating that. I think outside of the PGA Tour and MMA fighting, if you want to watch sports this year, you will have to see that kind of messaging. I think that is undeniable. Yeah. And it's now, it's really up to you, the individual, uh, to decide whether or not you're willing to tolerate it and still watch, or if it turns you off, then you, you find something else to do with your Saturdays. But again, I think even here in this state, I think it's going it's going to happen. I mean, we haven't forgotten that you know the NCAA approved the the use of of whatever message on the back of jerseys uh, this fall, so that's going to happen. Obviously, I don't think you know there, there won't be any kneeling for the national anthem because the, that always occurs uh, when the, the teams are still in the locker room. But they, I won't be surprised if there are some forms of protest at all uh, this this fall. If you are an Ole Miss fan and you want to check this out, you can do so. Big Noon Kickoff. You know, we used to call it Big Nude Kickoff. <laughs> Big Nude. Um, which is the Fox Saturday pregame show. They have a Wednesday night edition coming up at, uh, I don't know, maybe this is online only. I don't know. Apparently Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin is joining their group. Not permanently but to talk about the upcoming season. And, of course, a couple of his former players, Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush, are on set as well, and they're going to preview the SEC. I guess that's online. CFB on Fox, if you want to follow it. It's coming up at uh, 6 when we get finished up tonight. And on top of all this, we've... just watched a video of a uh, a weather woman uh, that is in what is it Acadia Acadia which is Acadiana Acadiana thank you um, reading the latest National Weather Service update for her area and choking up live on television mm. yeah Hurricane Laura is barreling toward the Texas Louisiana border. The area between Lake Charles, Louisiana, and um, Beaumont, Texas, appears to be where the eye of the storm, uh, the eye of Laura, is going to make landfall. If you were with us earlier, you may have heard um, Governor Reeves saying he was on a phone call with John Bell Edwards earlier today, and this hurricane making landfall at the western edge of Louisiana coincides with high tide for the month. Not high tide like it rises and falls day by day, but the highest the tides are in an entire month-long window. That is a part of Louisiana where you've got a lot of interior wetlands. Jason pointed that out to us earlier. I think it was Jason, maybe somebody else. And the storm surge related to what is right now a Category 4 hurricane is expected to be absolutely devastating. Miles and miles and miles inland. Sports Talk Mississippi will be...
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.